conversation for this unusual backstage actually began in an extended break of the changelog, Brett, when you were on way back when. How many months ago was that, Jerry? Like nine months, eight months? Was it the first time he was on or the second time he was on? Uh, I believe it's been a year. Okay, so it's two shows ago. We had an extended break with Brett, and somehow, some way, we started talking about Keanu Reeves. <laughs> as you do during the break. As breaks. you do in a break. And uh, one thing led to another, and it was this sort of trivia to unravel Keanu's history because i think brett you said it was from new zealand or something like that his heritage at least and i said he was canadian and you're canadian so yeah i think i brought up kind of like hawaii or something and you guys all point out he was also canadian and then we did a deep dive into his wikipedia page it was right a deep and dive and that led us to talk about many things but to short version it essentially we got back to keanu and roles like john wick and i think that's when we started talking about like our love for maybe him as an actor, I'm not really sure. Maybe The Matrix, but definitely about this very cool series called John Wick, which is now three chapters in. They call them chapters. So that's essentially how this began was a break of the changelog. Correct. And it also began because you two were huge fans of John Wick, and I had never seen John Wick. I, I do not consider myself a Keanu fan. I like the guy. I love The Matrix. I don't recognize the second two Matrixes as movies because they're just crap. There's trash, just dumpster Are fires. Are they Matrixes? Or I don't matrixes? know. I kind of I couldn't decide which way to go, so I said Matrixes. It should be Matrixes or Matrixes. I was wrong either way. But uh, Bill and Ted's. I mean, the guys. I mean, I've since learned that the internet Whoa. is in love with Keanu Reeves, especially Reddit. Yeah, but I wasn't like I'm not the kind of guy who's like, oh, Keanu's in a movie. I'm gonna see that movie. I don't know if you guys are. Like that big of fans of him, or he's just okay? No, I I am totally willing to be picky based on what uh, films he's in. He just happens to have been in some films that have I've um, large fans of, whether it's John Wick or The Matrix or Bill and Ted, as you pointed out. So there's Point Break. <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm not going to disagree with that one. Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, never. Saw I actually it. never seen Johnny Mnemonic. The Devil's Advocate. I'm just randomly seeing off That's my, a decent my movie. Favorites. I did like the, because I like Al Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I thought Devil's Advocate was a surprisingly decent film. Although I've been criticized for actually owning that film on DVD. By whom? Uh, just a friend. You want to call him out right here? No, I don't need to call her out. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I was single for a very long time in my life, and so mm. I developed quite the large DVD collection because it was pre-Netflix. Yeah, and post Netflix, uh, but still, I bought a lot of DVDs, and I was like, the one film she said, like, I love your DVD collection, but this, why the hell is this in here? Yeah, it's like it's actually a decent film. I also used to collect DVDs, and I'm not gonna lie, I can see them from where I'm standing. I have a few regrets over there that I <laughs> <laughs> that I'm like, you know what, I should just trash that one because somebody might see it. But uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think Devil's Advocate was all that bad. That being said, I John Wick was not something that was necessarily on my radar but both of you guys i think maybe my intuition is you guys are more action fans than i am like i won't i won't go see a movie if it's an action movie i like a, a movie like the matrix where the action is a complement to a story i feel like mo many action movies it's all about the action and the stories are so convoluted and bad and there's bad acting it's all just to drive the action that i don't enjoy it very much which is yeah, why i was on that. which i was yep. surprised surprised and delighted by john wick chapter one because it's like there's no story it's just like you know they killed his dog 
in his, and they stole his car. By the that way, that is the story. Spoiler alert! You know, if you oh, haven't gosh. seen John Wick's one through three, we're gonna we're gonna be yeah. we're gonna be spoiling the crap out of yeah. those. So yeah, I would definitely say if you plan to watch them, pause this show or come back to put on your list. Go watch them and then come back because we will definitely spoil things for yeah. you. But no, I'm with you, Jared. I, I'm not a diehard action fan. I actually okay. hate over-the-top action films that have no story. Uh, in this case, it was more of how they approached the action in the film that really caught my eye. I actually didn't like John Wick the first time I watched it. I oh, thought really? it was mediocre when I came out watching it. And then I kept seeing so many people just rave about it. Was, and then I rewatched it with a different perspective. And that's when I came to actually enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, I think there's some more to cover uh, in this. I got a couple things, but I also didn't really care for John Wick when I first heard about it, didn't plan to watch it. And there's some history there. So Jared, you might remember a conference called Keeper Be Weird, right? Back in 2014, you and I went over to Austin. Yeah. Well, in that Alamo Draft House Theater, while we were waiting for the conference to take off, like the day before, there was open theaters there where we actually saw people watching a movie and I believe it might be on my Instagram, but I definitely have a picture looking through the oval or the circle windows into the theater because mm-hmm. you know we were we were not there to watch movies, right? And I got a picture of like a John Wick scene because they were watching John Wick. So that's how long ago this was. And at the time, I was like, I'm probably never gonna watch that movie. I don't like it. I won't like it. And kind of like Brett, and I really didn't like it the first time I watched it either. But whenever I consider like the the score, which wasn't really there, but mostly the foley, the sound effects, the cinematography, mm-hmm. and their approach towards the action. That's what really caught me was being reminded how I'm not really a Keanu fan, but I'm more like a fan of him in those kinds of movies. I think he plays those kinds of roles so well. He's like made for those roles, those action roles, like the Matrix that require nine months of training just to do a role. Yeah. And I think those are really taken uh, the the right attention and the right intention of an actor to accomplish well. And he's phenomenal at that. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a level of dedication. It's like, it's not, I wouldn't call it deadpan, but a very kind of straight, serious play to the character, I think plays to his strengths. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me, when I rewatched it, I, I, I watched it from the perspective of the cinematography and just, yeah, how they put it together and yeah. glued it and the flow and, it honestly almost feels like watching the ballet. There's a dance to it. There's very much, you can tell they paid attention to the flow of the camera and the action to make sure it was one fluid movement and that it wasn't just very much, oh, guy with gun, shoot, guy with gun, shoot. It's like, no, there was intent behind all the action and all his moves and all that stuff. And it just makes you kind of appreciate the the craft behind it, basically. Mm. Yeah, it's funny you say that too, films. because when you watch the behind the scenes on the different fight scenes and orchestrating that, it's very much choreography, right? It's very much like yeah. a dance. And they even describe it like it is a dance because they are throwing really real punches. But because they know how the choreography is working, they know to dodge it. And there are accidental mm-hmm. hits, but it's <laughs> it's legit fighting, but choreographed. Yeah. And um, Tom Cruise actually uh, has commented how he actually, with his stunt team, has had them watch like Singing in the Rain and various other like hmm. – old dancing classics to teach them what kind of fluidity they should be looking for in their fight scenes to try to make sure that they had that kind of understanding of body movement and the, the where their body is in the scene and how to make sure it all ties together and comes across as one thing. I didn't want to age anybody, but we were talking about our love or lack of love for Keanu as an actor. <laughs> Going all the way back to like 1986, Youngblood. 
You know, I mean, I don't know if you recall that. It's got Patrick Swayze in it. It's got Rob Lowe in it. So like these characters. No, <laughs> not at all. It's it's actually an ice hockey uh, movie. And oh my! Coming. I mean, Brett, you should know this one perfectly, right? I mean, this is this is your heritage. Yeah, I've never even heard of it. What? Nice, okay, let me read the nice summary. Stereotype, there. Adam. This is your heritage. Well, it's here. in the it's in the. T- I'm not stereotyping. <laughs> Listen to this. It says a 17 year old farm boy is offered an ice hockey tryout. His brother drives him to Canada. Hello, Brett. There you are. Hello. So there that's you why are I thought. Canada. And then, well, Canada is all built on hockey, and everybody plays hockey. I know. And you I'm got ice there time. and stuff. Actually, we have two official sports. Uh, ice hockey is the official winter sport, and lacrosse is the official. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What about uh, the, around here. the one where you're pushing the things and you get them really close? What Curling? Curling. Curling. Not a sport. Yes. Not a sport. It's a game. Talk to a it's Canadian an Olympic game, but it's not a sport. We, actually, we can it's have surprisingly a, hard. I'm not I saying. I actually not, screwed up my knee playing it. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> claiming anything about its difficulty. I'm not claiming it's not awesome. I watch it every time it's on the Olympics, but I will just go out there on a limb and say not a sport. And I think we could have a whole other show. Is it a sport or not? And we could argue about different things. It's a yeah, intense game. It, yeah, what makes you say it's not a sport? No, what is your definition of a sport? A, I think is right. the key question. Well, you say it's a game. Yes, I've had deep conversations on this topic. I'm not. Oh gonna, my gosh. Okay, so, I, I, so now I need to hear what's the one sentence definition of a sport to Jared Santo. Well, there's lots of different ways you can slice that, but let me just say that the closest thing that I have that covers all games and sports the most accurately is if you are. Uh, if you are extremely advantaged, the more fit you get in the activity, then it's a sport. If not, then it's not a sport. It could be a very difficult game. And worthy, I mean, I, I'm not trying to denigrate non-sports. I just say that you have to define it. So we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't go there. Yeah, save I was going to say, because now we're getting to the definition of fit here, right? And does like esports right. count as a sport? Because that's a level of fitness in terms of your dexterity. But I would it's count esports. Oh, so, okay. So yeah. we're not even going to go there then. Yeah. I mean, physical dexterity, hand-eye coordination, that's part of it. Yeah. I would count esports. Some people wouldn't. Yeah. That's what I say. Like, it's a huge topic. It's actually fun to talk about, but. But yes. by definition alone, <laughs> according to. You guys won't let it, let it off here. Yeah. I, I have to push a little further. So just bear with me here. It, by definition alone, it's, it is a sport. So it says an activity involving physical exertion, which curling requires. It does require your arm to move and your body to be positioned and all that good stuff. Your eyes, it, is, it does require a Your physical motion. Your arms get surprisingly tired doing that sweeping. I bet. And it, it extended, it says, and skill in which an individual or team competes against another for entertainment. So by definition alone, Jared, it's a sport. They don't call the Olympic <laughs> sports. They call it the Olympic <laughs> Games for a reason. I'm Regardless, sure. I will totally back you up that watching curling is surprisingly soothing and calming. And I enjoy it. I mean, I think it's a great a Sunday. Idea. Yeah. Anyways. So, ice hockey, Canada, I stereotype, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> Young blood. We're way upfield. Point is, if it's but not the is, Mighty Ducks, I don't care which, about it. Which, by the way, is really sad considering how long it's been since the Canadian team has really made it to the Stanley Cup again. Mm. So. <sighs> anyway. You're not going to hit me very well with that. I'm I'm right here in middle America. We don't care about hockey very much. No. I'll, I'll stereotype and, myself. And I'm in Texas, and no one cares about hockey here. <laughs> Absolutely we care no about, one. We care about hockey enough that when we lose, we we have uh, we lose the Stanley Cup in five games. We have riots. So I bet, yeah, yeah. people are. What's well, like Friday Night Lights to us here? I mean, like, yeah, football. the cultures here in Texas are built on the backs of football for whatever reason. 
That's American football. But it's true. Yeah, American football. That's right. Right, American football. And uh, so I'm not from here. I'm from Pennsylvania. So, of, of course, I was a, uh, you know, a Penguins fan. And I loved Mario Lemieux. Mario, depends on who you, you know, which, uh, if you're from Kansas, Coast, Mario. Mario. That's right. Right. So uh, here in Nebraska, we call him Mario because we're boring. What's really funny is a side argument, not at all connected to John Wick, but I'll say it anyways, because we're talking about hockey here was I used to mess with somebody from Canada. I won't see who they are. Uh, and I would say that Mario Lemieux was actually from Pittsburgh and they were so PO'd because oh, he was from man. Quebec uh, or something like that. And I would, I would say, no, he's from Pittsburgh. And I would, I would just never, even with, with whatever evidence they gave me, it was never true. It was always fake news. It was the original fake news. The original. Did you just say that about Crosby today? <laughs> that would totally also get the exact same reaction of a Canadians versus Penguins fans. Mm. Who's Crosby? Who's Cros- Crosby? <laughs> now you just offended Brad at a I'm just level. not going there. Who's, Who's Crosby? Crosby? Mason Crosby, the kicker for the Green Bay Packers, of course. Oh. <laughs> Bring it back to American football. Uh, Let's pop the stack and go back to where we were about uh, three levels ago, which was Youngblood. I don't know why you brought it up. Oh, because it's an old Keanu movie. 1986. Or right. oh, the first Keanu movie, you, I think you said? It's not the first. It's it's one of the first that I saw. Mm. So, like, I mean, the ones previous to that were One Step Away, Comedy Factory. What point were you trying to make? Heat. The point I was trying to make was that uh, that he's been around for so long and that I'm not trying to be an ageist or in, in, invoke, invoke ageism here. But, you know, I've been a Keanu fan for a long time. And so some may say, you know, we may have younger listeners listening to this and thinking, like, why in the heck do they care about Keanu Reeves and while wow, he's been an actor forever, well, I've been watching him for a very long time, so okay. I'm kind of old. You're kind of old. Is the point I was trying to make. So you're trying yeah. to just date yourself here. To some degree, but, you know, I wasn't okay. trying to just say, it just simply on age, I like the guy. But I've been watching him for a long time, because even mm-hmm. after Youngblood, you know, many years later, you got River's Edge, which was, eh, whatever. You got Bram Stoker's Dracula. You've he got Bill and Ted's yeah. Adventure, of course. Yeah. I mean, so he's... What's interesting is the there was some Q&A with the actors of Chapter 3 Parabellum where you got Halle Berry and others, you know, responding to questions from, you know, the 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 interviewer for lack of better terms. They were from IMDb. And they asked a question, "How many credits do you think Keanu has as an actor on IMDb?" And they were all guessing. And when they said the number at the time it was like 80 something, like 89. Well, now it's 104. And they couldn't believe it. Like, that's so much. It's such an accomplishment as an actor to have that many credits in IMDb. I don't think he's actually that gr- great of an actor. I don't know, maybe that's blasphemous to say. I think he's great in John Wick. And I think I completely agree with you. Like, his his gunplay, like, his phys- he's a physical... You, you know he understands these things. And he's, like, trained like crazy. Right. You know, he to me, he's, he'll always be kind of that surfer like whoa you know like he he, the reason why he shines in john wick is because it's mostly physical acting and he has very few lines i mean he doesn't say all of that much and he plays it uh uh, i think you said deadpan or just kind of like the the straight kind of like you know he'll say like one word responses to things and that really i think plays to keanu's strength because i think he's much better in in the physical world than he is at like portraying different emotions i mean the thing about the matrix why he fits so well there was because it was like a guy for whom all these weird things were happening to him and he had to just be like what do i do and that's yeah. i think kind of what keanu reeves does that being said uh he's spectacular in these films yeah. well that plays well to a trademark he's known for which is intense 
contemplative gaze. <laughs> the quiet so, I mean, exactly. loner thinking in the corner. Right. right. So as an actor, he's not known for fantastically delivering a, a line. Right. Like, you can't handle the truth. Like, you know? Yeah. Or something like that. Or something like Al Pacino from uh, Devil's Advocate might have uh, delivered. Nope. I'm a fan of man, he said. <laughs> this is good. You should do more of these. Yeah, I do these. So long story short, uh, breaks in the changelog are entertaining. Sorry we don't release them. But sometimes they produce shows like this. And I would even say friendships, right? I mean, I, th- I felt like, gosh, the first time we had bread on the show, that was a four-hour recording of maybe that much was about 110 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes of actual produced audio for the show. So, like, at least two hours. We bonded was, over Keanu Reeves, what yeah, I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was intense. And now we're here yeah. to... And, and then we just started gorging ourselves on his films. And yeah. uh, basically what happened here was that the two of you, because I had seen none of the John Wicks until this summer. I have since watched all three, almost back to back to back. Um, oh, wow. Kind of because of this. I mean, I guess not even kind of. It was because we we're going to do a show. Exactly and I liked this. And I liked the idea like, hey, I'm going to watch these movies and talk about them. That sounds awesome. Um, but the two of you were already sold at this point and were like buying the Blu-rays or the 4Ks. You guys are kind of yep. more, I think, film nerds than myself or at least video files. Like, do you guys, uh, I know Adam has an awesome home theater set up. Brett, are you in a similar circumstance? Uh, I am within uh, spousal restraint. Uh, so, like, I have a 4K TV. I have a sound bar because my, with uh, rear speakers because my wife has a very stiff no wires strewny across the floor requirement right on that yeah yeah so so i don't have huge like uh standing speakers much like you can see behind adam in the video feed yeah but i have a sono soundbar and the play ones at the back first round sound i have a 55 inch 4k uh with ultra high def support i have a xbox one for the blu-ray chromecast ultra that kind of thing so i i get into it as much as my wife my living wife will let me get into it mm. Mm. And Stack, you are all in. Well, when I was 18, I used to read Crutchfield magazines for fun. Mm-hmm. So I learned about here. audio. Like that's yeah. how I learned all I know about home theater, theater, speakers, audio. So I, I guess as a podcast, it's kind of interesting to look back at that because those were my early days of like loving audio related technologies mm. and learning about that stuff. And so I, I can remember dreaming a long, long time ago when I was 18, this home theater I'd have. And at the time, it was way expensive, and now it's a lot less expensive. Yeah, but I think at the time it might have been like maybe eighteen or twenty thousand dollars for the stuff I wanted nope. as an eighteen-year-old. So it was quite expensive. Yeah, I always had the the dream uh, AV setup at home that I kind of had the back of my head, and then when I finally started to like be able to afford stuff, dreaming like, okay, what can I afford, and what do I actually want? I got to the point where I actually bought a roll of string just to properly measure the uh, uh, optimal viewing distance based on screen size for the pixel, the resolution of the screen Right. at one point. So mm. as a justification to my wife to let me get a bigger TV, it's like, look, sweetie, we're this many uh, centimeters away from the screen. <laughs> Optimally, we can watch up to this size. The the room can handle it. And then use your hands or no, that'll dominate the room. Forget it. Right. Uh, yeah. That's well, TVs do. So they do. Yeah. They can. I used to be with you guys, so I have been a surround sound guy. I used to have, I remember when I graduated from high school, I went and I got my first college apartment. I got this big Sony Vio, 36-inch CRT back in the day. It was like the best TV you could buy that wasn't a projection. 
and it was also 250 pounds. I think it was actually be, be, was the heaviest television that Sony made in history because after that, the flat screen revolution started, but it was like the last CRT. And I, I moved five times while I was in college. So I moved that TV five times. It yeah. was terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, surround so 5.1, like Atmos. I cared about all those things. And then yep. the older I got, I've kind of like, maybe I'm retired or I think maybe the internet broke me, like watching YouTube on my phone now or whatever it is. I just can't bring myself. Like that being said, when I went to Adam's house and sat and watched, what do we watch? A scene from The Matrix. No, yeah, exactly. So it was the Matrix. And I'm sitting and there. We like, end up watching the rest of it. This is amazing. But yeah. I just don't have the the patience, the, the setup, like all that stuff to care that much. So I watch these movies on my laptop and I think some of that colors my experience because I didn't get the full experience. Yeah. You know, yeah. I watch it on an airplane. It's like hearing the best soundtrack ever through in like, a hotel headphones. room. Yeah. Headphones aren't terrible. It's actually no, the visuals I, that are I worse. Mean, yeah. Yeah. yeah the audio it's like the bad. headphones you probably have on compared to using the headphones that came with your your Android phone, your iPhone, or whatever. It's, well, in this case, I was actually wearing these because I brought them okay, with good. me. So I had my big Sony's on. Okay. So it sounded good. So audio-wise, it's pretty pretty good. That but bit. the video is like, yeah. you know, it's a 13-inch screen. Yeah. And you're on an airplane sitting next to somebody who's breathing on you and all that kind of stuff. So I had that going on. But well, since you guys gave your histories here on, on at least your audio-wise, like because of my, you know, eight-year-old self wanting to always have this, when we built our house... Uh, in 2017, we were lucky enough to have an option to add a room upstairs that could be basically set up for a theater. And it was so inexpensive to do it when we built the house. I'm like, yeah, sure. Pre-wired. Oh, nice. So no wires on the floor, no wires on the ceiling. Uh, already pre-wired nice. for 7.1. I think actually 9.1. Oh, wow. And uh, so it was it was already set up. The, the one wall on the end of the room is projectable, meaning you can put something on that. Like it's a one big wall. And so it just made sense to put a projector in and then put seven speakers in the ceiling and put a sub in the room and call it a theater. And that's kind of what it is. There's no sconce on the wall. There's there's nothing. There's no uh, theater um, curtains or anything special that makes it a theater room. It's just a room with a projector with awesome speakers. And No accoutrement. It's straight into the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could do more. We will do more eventually. But uh, like most people, when they build their houses or do something like they move into in a house, it's phased. So, you know, phase one was move in. Phase two was enjoy it. Phase three was put a, put a theater in it. So I, <laughs> yeah, I, I totally understand. We moved into our, uh, we bought our place in December of 2017. So we haven't quite hit two years. So we're still in the, there's still a list of stuff we plan to do when we first moved in that we're slowly mm-hmm. still chipping away. You know. So this is definitely fodder for those wanting to hear more about our love for John Wick one, two or three. That sort of sets the scene of like our experience levels of like how we watch the movie. So I obviously watched all three of them in my theater. Uh, Brett, your makeshift theater with the wired or I guess wireless uh, surround speakers that your wife let you have. I and watched, Jared, you want a laptop with yeah. headphones on. And yeah. I watched them all originally in the theater and then I subsequently bought them and rewatched okay. them all at home. Okay, so you did have the theater experience then. Yes. Good. And you own all three, Brett? Oh, yeah. All, all, bought all of them on 4K. Okay, so honestly, been prepped for this show. Awesome. Okay, I wish I would have seen them in the theater. That would have been optimal experience because they're so visual. Yeah, and I mean, most of it's mostly eye candy. I mean, let me just first say that I love all three of these movies. So anything that I say beyond this point is like nitpicking and and all that kind of stuff. These are all good. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think 
I'm in the minority there. These are movies that have done very well. They, they've obviously spawned multiple. <laughs> you don't make uh, sequels and when the first movie doesn't do well. Um, the quality is is absolutely there. And the thing that I love about it, which I, I kind of kicked off from the start, is John Wick 1, it just doesn't pull any punches. It doesn't try to like deceive you into like some plot line that ends up being unsatisfying. It's just like, look, here's a guy and he gets wronged, right? I mean, he's he's mm-hmm. uh, in pain because of the death of his wife. And we know he has a, like, you can tell there's a history there, but you know what the history is. And then these people steal his car and kill his dog. And now he's going to kill every single person that has anything to do with them. And like, that's the plot. And it's not like, it just tells you that kind of right up in the first 15, 20 minutes. And after watching the second two films, I realized, man, John McQuinn doesn't actually have action for a while. Um, yeah. cause it is kind of establishing it. Whereas the other two kind of start right in the middle of it. I think that's the advantage of sequels. They can do that, but yeah, it just yeah. doesn't try to be anything that it's not. And you're just like, okay, I, I'm not, I'm not expecting very much here besides awesome action and, and then it delivers on that. So that's, that's what I loved about John Wick one. Yeah. I feel like they basically, the, the beginning of the film is setting up his simple life. And then when people start to trample on it, he rage quits it and goes back to just <laughs> going nuts. Yeah, exactly. And, and then, yeah, and it's just acts as a MacGuffin to just explain why the hell we get to watch Keanu Reeves just look very stoic and serious while he just, just pops people in the head. Left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. And my favorite moment in that movie is when they describe uh, what's wrong, what's going on to the guy on the phone, the the, the boss man. Right. Yeah. I know this. And he's Say just it. like, I killed, I killed the guy's dog or whatever. And he's like, Why? I mean, I'm obviously paraphrasing. Why are you? Why is all this happening? Because we we stole a car. And he's like, It was John Wick's car. And he's like, Oh, like that. Oh, moment. Yes. Was when I was like, Okay, this is gonna be. This is going to be awesome. Like he, I recall that moment. It was less like, oh, and more like, oh. Click. Yeah. Yeah, and he then, definitely hung up right afterwards. That's right. right. Uh-huh. I love and then, uh, the boogeyman. That's mm-hmm. right. And then who was, the, who was the character that played that actor that you're speaking of that, that was talking to him? Jeez, what was his name? Oh, John Leguizamo? Oh, the chop shop guy? Yeah. Yeah, John Leguizamo. Aurelio was the character, and yep. Aurelio was who was calling uh, Vigo. Victor. That's right. Was it was it Victor Vigo? Vigo? Victor? What was this? I'm looking up the characters now. Yeah, Vigo Terezov. So this is IMDB, not me. I don't have that great of a memory. And I'm not that much of a fan, but, I, you know, um, he was talking to him and he's like, oh. Yeah. And then he oh. just hung up and that's when everything kind of kicked off. I was like, yeah. you d- basically it was trying to paint the picture. You don't mess with John Wick. And if you do, you wish you didn't. And there was no illusion whatsoever at any point in John Wick 1 really in any of them, but especially in one that he was in any trouble whatsoever. Like I didn't, and you'd think maybe that would remove some of the drama, you know, like, is he going to make it? Is he going to kill everybody? I was just like, no, he's just going to kill everybody. You know, I I never thought John Wick was, I I never thought he was actually in any danger whatsoever. Mm -mm. Even when facing like six or seven people. Yeah. It just didn't matter. Like he was going to win. Some of that's because, you know, I'd seen, I knew two and three existed. So that kind of ruins it, right? Like maybe he'll die somehow. But even just the, I think even without that, if I would have seen in the theaters in the original time, just the way they all reacted, like the boogeyman, oh, like this is trouble. Like it was just kind of like, yeah, he's just going to destroy yeah. everybody. <laughs> and that same character, Vigo, uh, says this in the movie. He says, John is a man of focus, commitment, sheer will. 
And that's the, like the line that they, it's the quote for John. That's who he is. He's a man of focus, commitment, sheer will. And you don't mess with him because if you're on his wrong side, he will focus, he will commit, and he will kill. And he'll do it with a pencil. <laughs> with a pencil. Yeah. We're a, we're a PG-13 show, so I can't say the direct quote, but yeah. with a pencil is definitely part of that line. Yes. Oh, man. They drink a lot in this movie, right? When, when they're angry or, or frustrated or whatever, they're always drinking. There is a decent amount of alcohol. So much drinking. Them. On, on tables tables and such yeah. yes obviously a lot of killing too because that's just part of the movie like in three there was so much killing that's actually what i thought about the whole time i was watching i was like everybody is just dying <laughs> like he's killing everybody like there's nobody he encounters it's like one or two people he's like i forget what the person's name is he comes up behind him i think this might be two actually uh i'm pretty sure it's two comes up behind him he says hey how you doing he's got the gun to his head like, how's a family or something like that? He's like, you should, you should, you know, you should take a break. He's like, I'll take a break, John. And then he goes inside and kills everybody. Mm-hmm. But that guy gets away for some reason, which is kind of interesting. Oh, well, no, that was in one. That was when he walked up behind the bodyguard at the yeah. nightclub. Yeah, okay, that's what it was. Yeah. And they were, they were talking about how he'd lost some weight and looked good. And, right, that's right. He lost weight, he looked good. That's right. Yeah. Good job remembering that. I thought it was two for some reason. Two was when, um, you learn that there's been times in his life where he's gone up against some assassin he somehow respects and he wounds them in such a way that either they can die trying to get him or they can step away and live. Like right. I think he does that they to save their Common own life. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like stab him in a certain like Yeah, like in an artery. It's like if you or... take that hand away to try to defeat me, you're going to die. But if you keep your hand there, you can le- live another day if you leave. Right. Yeah. 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 Which is cool. I think that's, that's an admirable trait as a killer <laughs> to have, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like, hey, I don't have to kill you, and I'm going like, to choose not to. Yeah, it's very, uh, very uh, merciful. You have to really way. hate a guy to choose death in order to kill him, right? Like, self-preservation is a very strong aspect of human nature. Mm-hmm. But you got to really hate a guy to be like, yeah, I'll go ahead and die with you because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to come after you versus I'll save myself. What's interesting too about we can kind of be going to order of some sort, but since we mentioned chapter two, that was where the marker, this idea, and something that's really interesting, like this underworld rules that is they play by, they live by. Like everyone in this movie, they live sort of like in this subculture of culture called, figuratively, I don't think they ever say this, but the underworld, this, this sort of like um, different rule set that gangsters almost play by, but it's like everyone involved in this, and it's based in New York City. As a movie. And what's also interesting is that all three movies take place like within the same week to two week span. Like it's not like chapter yeah. one was years ago right. and then chapter two was several years later. It was like within a two week span, all three movies take place. Yep. But this idea of a marker and some of the rules they play by, um, I forget the character's name, but the person who kind of called this marker on this guy, I think it was, it was, uh, Ricardo Santino is his name in the, in the movie. He calls a marker, and it's essentially this this really interesting, beautiful art based uh, circular object that has a pin in it, and you obviously jab your thumb and you put your own blood marker in there, and then the other other person that you owe it to puts theirs in there, and then there's essentially a rule that you can't break that marker. You, when when called, you have to deliver on whatever they ask you, otherwise you break this you know this the rule of Sort of like this, um, what's the name of, of this underworld? They call it like an Assassin's Guild, the High Table. There's a couple other names they sort of speak of it as. But basically this yeah. 
government, for lack of better terms, that sort of govern, governs the rules. Yes, yeah, the high tail. Yeah. So that's really interesting how they have like this subculture of, of like of what you can do and what you can't do and, you know, kind of being called to a marker or when you're in that hotel, I think it's called the International, Continental. it's Consecrated Grounds. The Continental. The Continental, yes. I love that entire idea and concept with the yeah. Continental and they they played on it in so many different ways. Yeah. It yeah. was one of my favorite tropes of the of the entire series and which is one of the reasons why I do think that John Wick 2 is the strongest of the 3. Um mm. but he he said it. He said it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very I mean it's akin to Empire Strikes Back because it's a hard first of all it has the hardest job as a as a number two now maybe back when they wrote it they didn't know they were going to do a third and i'm sure there's going to i mean the third sets up a fourth of course so now it's just going to continue a story i i think until the people quit buying tickets but yeah they're already they're already pre-production on four yeah i figured as much i mean three very much led you could just the way it ended you're just kind of waiting for it but two begged for chapter three i mean with the yes. ending of two it wouldn't I make believe any they, they had already green lit both two and three at the same time so. which makes sense because i mean if you think about the end of empire like the the the, the heroes are losing right there's still trouble and mm-hmm. if you think at the end of john wick two he is like in extreme trouble in fact the coolest thing is like when they call out the the hit they put a contract out and it's like uh the 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 the, the worldwide uh, group text, you know, this thing goes out yeah. like kind of an old school like, dispatcher. Yep. Right. And uh, up until this point, we've never seen anybody break the rules of the continental. We don't know what's going to happen to do that. And then we did in, uh, in, in the first one, we saw somebody break the rules. They, yeah, the female ground. assassin that, uh, that tried to kill him in his hotel room. Yeah. What? Yeah, and the first one, uh, he he goes there, and then Miss Perkins. Yeah, Vigo had put the hit on him, and so yeah, Miss Perkins. Blonde. So he's in his hotel room. Yeah, the woman tries to kill him, and then uh, his buddy, uh, who you can't, you for a while don't quite know if he's on his side or trying to do something kind of fishy, uh, played by. Um, uh, I, I he, well, he played he, in in the Wire. He was a really good character in the Wire, and that's what I know him as. His name is Harry. I'm well, looking no, at IMDb. I'm not this good, I promise. The actor. Well, that's who she kills to Clark get Peters. out okay. of. So, yeah, that's who Miss Perkins kills to get out back out. But I'm thinking of uh, who played uh, Green Goblin from Spider-Man. And I don't know of James old. James Franco. No, not James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> the first Spider-Man. Oh, not, man. Not his son. Um, Green Goblin. Oh, Hobgoblin. I know who you're talking about. Uh, the guy with uh, the big, with the grin. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. crud. It's not John Malkovich. It's, no, he's a good actor. And yeah. unfortunately, I'm remembering one of his worst parts. Uh, here it is. I, you ready? Yes. Willem, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe. He's awesome. Yeah, so that's, that, that's, yeah, so that's what happens is Willem Dafoe wakes him up. So Miss Perkins is to kill him. She gives him to the guy right. from The Wire who does a great job in that show. And then she kills him to get out. And then, yeah, at the end of uh, Chapter 1, uh, Winston has her executed somewhere it looks like in Central Park. Okay, right. fair enough. I must have just yeah. forgot about that. I was overwhelmed by movies. Well, what I love, what I think we are going, what I was trying to explain was like, I love how they unravel the rules by which this underworld lives. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it is like, you don't kill, you know, on consecrated ground, which these hotels or these different places throughout right. the world are sort of demilitarized zones. Right. Yeah. Like the, this is a neutral zone. You know, you come here and talk. And I love even in uh, chapter two when 
Common and him are on the footstep of the Continental, and they basically, break I think they glass. fell in or yeah, something. They yeah, they broke the glass, the glass. And so they had to stop fighting because they were they couldn't I break love the rules. That. I love that. And they went and had a drink. And they went and had a drink together. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that whole the, the writing and the whole underlying story and the rules. I think that's really what keeps a storyline like this together. Is like you can't just have action, like you said earlier, Jared. You can't just have storyline. You kind of have to have the both. Yeah. And part of that storyline is these rules that, that which is why unique, I thought, yeah, which is why I love chapter two because like chapter yeah. one was awesome action and like I said it was so bare bones there wasn't any story there there wasn't even really from my perspective that much drama it was just like let's yeah. watch Keanu Reeves kill everybody and that's yeah. a really that's a really fun time well that's chapter three well that becomes chapter three as well <laughs> but chapter th- three like or chapter two the plot thickens right there is more lore there is more going on that we didn't realize and like there's these markers and there's this like code and there's the continental and like oh, I mean the, the gold continental. coins we haven't mentioned yet yeah and then it just yeah. ends with basically like every I mean just the idea of all of a sudden every assassin in New York City turns on him and is trying to kill him like it I had to turn on chapter three as soon as chapter two was over because that's how good it was like I got to see what happens right. next you whereas oh, yeah, chapter yeah. best yeah so I well, love yeah. that's good. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like one was filmed without any expectation of a two, and so yeah. the coins and the whole kind of the, the what you learned is the high table and their set of rules was kind of a MacGuffin to just kind of have this kind of interesting quirk to give it some kind of uniqueness. Yes, and that was just action. And then, as you said, Jared, I think in two when they realized, oh, we get to make two more films, let's build out this world of rules that I th- I think is really interesting. They made sure there's real cohesion to it. Like it doesn't feel like it was just kind of thrown together, like in some writing room, like, Oh crap, we got to figure some stuff out. It was just like, Oh, okay. Like they kind of thought this through. It's like, okay, it's going to be kind of like the mafia. Like if you watch the Sopranos, right, you can tell they have certain rules. They actually kind of follow. Right. I mean, and they say in three, right? Like what separates us from the animals? It's like rules or what separates us from being animals. So it seems exactly. to have very much been kind of like ingrained right. into them that, there are certain rules, and it's like the Continental and what the coins are for, and those uh, the beautiful discs that they use for those markers. And th- then there's even the sub ones, right? Like in three, where he has his tickets from the Belarusian uh, ballet company that he seemed to be raised as an orphan from to get right. Right. Yeah. out to yeah. um, he like cashed him in to get safe passage or something. Yeah, like they, they, they um, branded him in the back to show that he had his ticket pulled and all that, and the whole yeah. high table and the uh, adjudicator with her own special coin and all yes. that. And, I mean, there really does seem to, they really tried to structure out this whole rule set of like, there really is this almost like sub government of how things are supposed to function, which I think makes the whole thing kind of has an extra level of interest. Cause now you want to see how these kind of plays, how these things play out, right? The interrelationships and how these things tie into it and, I mean, honestly, that part alone is just kind of interesting to try to deconstruct how the whole world kind of just functions. Yeah. And John's really popular, too, as the, as the character in this story. Like, I know, sure, it's called John Wick, and that would make sense. But, you know, every single movie, there's somebody in the movie, a new character introduced that knows him so well through a backstory, which you're not really revealed. I'm thinking of, of like, Chapter 3 when he meets Halle Berry's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's always some sort of, like, deep past relationship good or bad that everyone has with the the main character Keanu Reeves character John Wick I think it's just so wild how they they all seem to like know this fella so well yeah he's well, there's some sort of history of his 
Well, and it's interesting too because it's a mix, as you said, right? Like some of them are not so great, and some of them are like more like friendly. So, mm-hmm. like as you said, Halle Berry, she does not like him, but he seemed to have done something great for her to get her daughter out, right? Exactly. Or the relationship with uh, Doc in Chapter Three when he gets stabbed in the shoulder in the your um, mm-hmm. public library, and he has to go get that uh, sutured up, and he helps him, knowing full well that. All right, you're gonna have to shoot me to prove to them that I actually didn't cheat and go past before you were excommunicate excommunicado and like. But he still totally lets them come in and helps them, and they say thanks to each other. And there's very much a cordial respect between them, and it definitely seems like there's a. It, it goes both ways where he his humanity seems to have previously existed prior to meeting his wife, uh, but there are other points where it's like, oh yeah, he was a stone cold killer and totally pushed people right. the wrong way because he just totally just knock someone off that they cared about one thing i think they do a really good job of is making every character have something different and unique or interesting about them like there's very few i mean there's a few like just anonymous henchmen that die of course but like anybody who has that relationship that you're talking about with john wick somehow they all have something about them that's that's intriguing and a lot of times in movies, you'll have these little bit parts and they're throwaway parts and they're like, well, that didn't really add anything. I don't know that person. I don't care because they're just like, whatever. Another movie that does a really good job of this is Minority Report. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Mm-hmm. But if you go of back course. and watch Minority Report and just notice like every single person that uh, that Tom Cruise interacts with that's not that has lines to say, they got something weird or different about them. They're very interesting people. And I feel like John Wick is, is similar. Where all these little, even if you're going to get killed in, in, within three minutes, or you just have one scene where you're basically suturing him up and and then you know letting him shoot you a couple times because once wasn't good enough uh, to save your life and send him on his way. Like that doctor was an interesting character, uh, even though we only saw him for a few minutes. There's definitely definitely uh, purposeful world building. Yes. In the yeah. writing, right? The 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 beyond this the roles. There's yeah, and the people who 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 not involve or embrace who um, fill this world definitely seem to have, as you said, purpose and something behind them that's motivating them. That They might not go into great detail, but you could totally imagine has an actual thing, right? That's, I think another thing about these films that's really interesting is you can step out of it and think about that character, like Halle Berry's character, and you can think about what was said, and you can realize that there's seems like a rich tapestry of their to their background that you can kind of just mentally just expound upon. It's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I bet this happened and that happened. She's this kind of person, all that, versus just like... Oh yeah, he just went and met a lady with dogs that led to a cool fight scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had some remarks though about the cohesion between two and three in the storyline because one, I think, uh, John Wick one. There's it's just called John Wick. Just, the others are called Chapter Two and Chapter Three. Mm-hmm. Chapter Three has an extension to that Parabellum, but you know, it, Book One or or sorry, Movie One. That's funny too. That these are actually these aren't actually from like a comic or a book, but uh, the very first movie. It was a surprise that it was so well taken. They weren't planning two and three. I don't even think they were thinking it would be a great film. I know they knew that, but you know, it's always a well, not always. In this case, it was a surprise with how well these movies were received by the audience. You know, so two and three, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, did they have the backstory quite so thickened? Was it there fully, or did they have an idea of it? And they said, well, we'll scratch the surface with one. And then, and then if this movie is blessed, we'll dig deeper in two and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to know, yeah, how much they planned out ahead of time. The 
we'll write out one with the plan for two. I mean, like Star Wars yeah. is a perfect example, right? Like it's called yeah. Episode Four for a reason. Like George Lucas wrote that whole backstory that became Episodes One, Two, and Three as an outline for the world building, so that when Episode Four was made, he had the backstory in mind, so that the cohesion was there. Right. And I have no clue if they did this with John Wick, but they've definitely, if they did, they've definitely done a good job carrying that forward. Right. Such yeah. that it does at least give off that feeling that there was that kind of predetermined or pre-planned cohesion to have it carry forward. Yeah. At some point I want to play favorite character, favorite scene. Ooh, I like that kind of thing, but (laughs) there's more to go through, but let's not back from that. Cause I think there's some favorite characters I have. I'd love to say who they are and why. And then a few scenes that really stand out to me. So let's hear more. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. I would like to talk about the action itself a little bit because I think, yep, when you have no story, like John Wick 1, relatively no story, the action has to be a, a cut above for it to be a, a theatrical success. I don't know if it was a critical success or not. I know it's like a 7.4 on IMDb, which is not the critics. That's the that's the people's, um, which is a pretty decent score, but not like yeah. amazing. Anything uh, above a 7, I consider reasonable. Yeah, exactly. But the the action is so compelling and and I was trying to think about like why that is there's this like combination of like I said he's kind of indestructible um he's going to win and so like that's fantastical like one man versus six is going to lose in reality right versus you know all these people you're not going to beat this focus and accuracy is beyond reproach right and that's just totally exactly it's totally unbelievable that being said the action is very much grounded in reality Mm-hmm. Point in case, the dude reloads on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And in like yeah. most action films, and he runs out like, too. you know, they're just like yeah. just shooting nonstop. He runs out. He actually integrates like the reloading into his moves, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Yep. And so there's like this believableness to the world in terms of like it feels kind of real. And he's like a guy that could like maybe exist. You know, he's not a Superman, but he yeah. is a Superman. This is really a, a neat, a neat kind of uh, dichotomy. Uh, yeah, I, I mean to play off that is uh, yeah. He never seems to really necess- he never misses. He's always he's hyper accurate. He seems to be able to take punches really well and come out fine and not amazingly get concussions every ten minutes. Yeah, but he does play the part of like okay, you know what? If I shoot someone in the stomach or the chest, they might still live and pull a gun on me and still shoot me. So I'm going to walk up to every person I see and pop, and shoot them and double tap them in the head twice, which is a rule we all know from Zombieland, by the way. That's right. <laughs> double tap. <laughs> double tap. Um, and he does that, right? Because it makes sense, right? Like the the going back to the dance in the ballet, like he actually goes like, okay, I'm dealing with this person, so I got to take a move to neutralize them with this other person coming towards me so I got to deal with them there's always like how do I neutralize the current situation and then how do I make the situation permanent so that they don't come after me later on and it is very grounded in that right yeah it really is if you still have enough behind you to still grab a gun from somewhere and shoot him in the back when he's not looking that's a problem so he makes sure everyone is down permanently and just always does what has to to make the make the situation least lethal to him and then just continues to work on that until the whole situation's cleared out. And it does add a nice level of grounding to it. It totally the, does. Just the fact that like one shot doesn't kill everybody. Like a live yeah. action movies, like when you get them and the, I hit them, they're done. Where it's like, ah, that guy's still alive. That and in fact, lots of times he's got to hit people multiple times. And like you said, he always double checks at the end. I mean, honestly, now that I think about it, the only the only 
kill I can remember in all those films was the one at the the dramatic one at the end of two in the Continental, where he oh, does yeah. almost point from no farther distance from a table to a guy in the forehead, and that's yeah, it. Everything else, style. yeah, exactly. Everything else is a double tap, at least if not more. I mean, even in three, where the guys are all like fold up in like bulletproof armor head to toe like he shoots them in the neck and it's not just once because he can't see them he shoots them at least two if not four times like there's a definite level methodical thought put behind what he does which seems very grounded in like i mean yeah if i if you were in that situation you were and we could actually all be that calm about it you would want to <laughs> think through it like how do i make sure this person is actually down and out and not going to come after me later right yeah yeah and I'm not a gun, I'm not a gun guy, but I have friends who are enthusiasts with guns, and and this movie has these movies have a lot of respect amongst gun enthusiasts and people who are tactically trained mm-hmm. um, and like handle guns on a regular basis and know how to take them apart and put them together and all those kind of things. Like they all respect when I say they all the ones who, with whom I've I don't want to like get <laughs> how global. big is this audience yeah. millions of people no I mean the, my friends who are enthusiasts they love these movies and they love them because there's a reality to the gunplay yeah if you ever if you go online you can actually find videos of Keanu Reeves training for these films and he talks about how he gets trained from like professional people who have shown him, like, as you said, like, how does he integrate, like, the reloading and stuff and all those movements? Like, those are done by some real people in real life. And you see him at shooting ranges, like, really going through the motions with shotguns and handguns. Like, I mean, to even get more point, like, he actually holds the gun close to him so he can look down the sight, right? It's none of this, like, sideways gangster bunk that you see in other films. And somehow they still magically hit people. It's like, no, no, he actually seems to actually be taking aim with the gun at the stunt person to make sure it looks realistic, and it all seems to be grounded in how people actually work with firearms in those actual kind of like situations. So yeah, I've heard the same thing. Like people who are who are into guns actually respect this movie and or into this into self defense and this level of stuff. Yeah, exactly. They actually respect the motions that he puts in and the accuracy to it all because he seems to have, they seem to have really done their homework. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we got this far without saying Baba Yaga. No, you, Brad said it. I said it Did you way it? early on. Way early on? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure if it was actually said. Okay. I knew you said boogeyman, but I wasn't sure if you said because, you know, like that's Bobby a quintessential thing that, yeah. yeah, similar to, you know, excommunicado. There's a couple lines or a couple words being said that are like, this is not normal. I mean, it, that was not mainstream. Italian? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not everybody says excommunicado. They might they say excommunicated or something like that. Does anyone know what parabellum's from? Is that Latin? It is Latin. Yeah, it means okay. prepare for war. Yeah, I, I, I picked up on that when I, I watched John Wick 3 this morning in preparation for this. <laughs> nice. Um, because wow. I'd only seen it once previously Commitment. in the theater. And then, that was a while uh, ago. Yeah. 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 And then just hadn't, and then I got, and then it came out on 4K, and then I got it, but then right, I got it like while I was over in uh, what is currently considered Europe. Um, <laughs> well, because I was in, I was in uh, England at the time, so it's it, this is pre, being recorded pre Brexit. Um, and then I got home, but then I got sick, so I hadn't had a chance to watch it. And then, so I gotcha. just finally just forced myself to have the time this morning. Anyway, well, um, you have more willpower than I do because <laughs> I organized a watch party for the the very night, the very day uh, Chapter Three came out. Like it came in the mail three hours before we watched it, and had people over. It was, it was a planned thing, all that good stuff. Like it was on the calendar weeks in advance, knowing when the movie would arrive. Thank you, Amazon for being so good with that, by the way, because yes. if they didn't deliver the movie, 
Uh, weird and then party. watch part of what happened. <laughs> yeah. You were going to just watch part two all over again. Just, yeah, right. we'll just watch part two you instead. I watched a better film. Oh. Oh. I got some. Oh. I have some issues with chapter Jer- three. I was going to say, Jared has some, something he wants to share. I've got issues with chapter three. Okay. There's... Uh, I I agree with you, Brett, that the that they do a good job of the continuity of the lore of the world and the building, the actual details of the high order and the just the the extreme levels of which this like sub government operates. The high table. What I say, the high order. The high yeah. order. What's that? Mixing Star Wars up with that. What's that from? Yeah. The the Rebel Alliance was a bridge too far. No. Uh, <laughs> It just got a little bit, it moved from like intriguing to somewhat convoluted. Like it's like borderline convoluted. I don't think they've actually jumped the shark with a story necessarily with the the world building. There's just like this inkling of like, eh. They were pushing the envelope. They're pushing the envelope. But really what got me with chapter three is the groundedness was kind of like, you know what? We're kind of done with that. Like we've been playing with this like, not this could actually happen, but like there's, they're basically just like, we're going to go full crazy, craziness. The other thing about the the reality is when he makes all of his moves, especially in chapters one and two, they make sense. Like everything he does is like, yeah, that's the best thing to have done there. I would never have done it differently as a layman or even as a trained man. Like that makes the most sense. He did things in chapter three that I could tell were just, were simply in order to provide an opportunity for a cooler scene next. That just, it made me, I, I couldn't suspend, suspend my disbelief any further. I'm like, eh. Felt a little force. Yeah, like when they're in the the night, you know, the antique knife shop, which was a cool setup. Like, I, I'm yeah. down with that. And he's like, he keeps killing people. People run in with guns or sometimes with knives. But he'll like steal a gun, shoot a guy with the gun, and then drop the gun and kill the next guy with a knife. That actually drove me nuts. That is that specific scene did drive me bonkers. And he left that building with nothing. It's yeah. like, what are you how doing? Do you not man? pick up at least one of the dead person's handguns if you don't want the old like antique six shooter. It, it's like you are exactly. running from these people. You should leave armed somehow. That that did bother me. That scene absolutely. And he spends all he, this. He left there unarmed. Completely unarmed. Completely unarmed. Wow. Because they had to set up the horse scene. Because the horse scene was next. And if he went into the horse barn with a gun, he wouldn't yeah. like use a horse to kick the guy in the face. So it was like bad decisions by John Wick, which he never makes bad decisions. So like I've already, I'm, and now I'm disappointed in him because they needed to drive the next scene. And that that that's where I start to disconnect from the movie and start thinking about yeah. how they make the movie. I don't want to mm-hmm. be thinking about how they're making the movie while I'm watching it. So that's true. Just stuff like that where I'm like, yeah, because the horse scene was admittedly like it was corny, but it was cool. I mean, yeah. like. But they could have done that if he walked in there loaded with weapons, you know? Yes. I mean, the, the, so my one issue I had with two versus the other, with chapter two versus one and three was chapter one, I know we all joke it's all about his car and his dog, but obviously it was more about the, the connection to his now past wife. Sure, right? absolutely. Two seemed to be more about, I'm just pissed that I've been pulled back into this world. And then three, once again, went back to revolving around being about his wife. So I do appreciate at least that connection, having that coherency about his story of trying to be like, okay, I'm doing this for my my my, my past wife, et cetera, et cetera. But two felt like a, it, it didn't have that to it, which mm-hmm. I thought was a little in, odd. It felt more, from my perspective, that part felt forced. So I do agree that the setups for the scenes 
were definitely more forced in three than they were in one and two. But I felt the story, the driving plot story behind two felt a little bit more forced to me. I think that's fair. I think that wouldn't have, I w- you may not have felt that way had three not gone back to his wife. Because Quite two possibly. to me felt like, like it was happening to him. Like all of a sudden he was like just reacting and mm-hmm. it was also fast. And I was down with that. But yeah, good point. When it goes back to its wife, it, it's kind of like returning to one's continuity, which makes mm-hmm. two do- kind of stand out a little bit from the other two. Um, See, and I would totally understand two if I if they were not planning for three. Like it seemed they were basically yeah. ending up two. Then it would have gone like, okay, we got one. Now we got to find motivation for two. So now we're done. And oh, well, look, we got a third. Okay, well, let's maybe tie it back to his wife versus. There was obviously going to be a connection from two to three, so it's like, it, yeah, it felt like it. Yeah, it went from wife to me to wife, right? Instead of some, and maybe they just couldn't think of a better way to do the, the the line through, but it, that that was my problem with too. Was just that part of the story felt kind of out of place. It's like I'm yeah. now the one that's angry and mad, and now I'm just going to go kill everyone because they want me to come back here and be in this world again, and I don't want to be. But then if that's the driving force is like he's way overdoing this and then it gets to the end, right? Where it's like, it seems like the driving force is I don't want to be part of this anymore, but I'm being forced to. And then it gets to the end. It's like, oh, well, now I'm just going to make more life really hell and just totally right. break one of the cardinal rules of this world and really throw everything out the window versus like yeah. something else that would lead to him like, I don't know, watching guard outside for him to slip up or doing something that would allow him to more walk away versus his lose my patience and I'm going to totally overblow it and then go into three where it's like, Oh, I overblew it. Now I got to try to fix the whole thing so I can be the one who remembers my wife, et cetera, et cetera, which right. also felt a little stretched, but once again, that that's because of two, right? Because he did this thing knowing full well that he would end up in this situation. Are you referring to when he takes out the guy at the end? Because up until that point in two, I didn't feel like it was about anger slash revenge. I felt like it was about him having to, follow his blood oath and, and kill yeah. the guy's sister. And then he puts the hit out on him and everything else was almost self-defense on John Wick's side. Like he was reacting to the trouble that was coming at him until yes. he, until he shoots exactly. the guy in the head. Then it's like, yeah, he should have done that. Yeah, exactly. It did. It, it was very much a reaction to how do I keep going? And then at that sudden end point, it was just like, we have a chance to just walk away and now I'm right. just going to lose it. You yeah, know, exactly. he's been portrayed as this person who's been more or less calm until he's like really backed into a corner. And at that point, he wasn't backed into the corner. He just had vengeance on his mind. Yeah. Well, right. What made him kill Santino? He was just pissed at him. Yeah. I mean, that's didn't, the thing. didn't something happen that he did that was like a, that was, um, well, he was a D bag. Right. He, well, he, he did something <laughs> he against it. what John and he had kind of agreed on. Like, didn't he break a promise to them? Wasn't there like some sort of like, oh, like, he, you know, he double well, crossed him. He double crossed him. Yeah, he. Right. Yeah, what it was, was that double cross? Well, he had the marker t- that he used on John to go kill his sister because she was the one that got the seat at the high table. And so right. he did it. Gianna. But as soon as he did it, he, put a he then put him. a hit out on him. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Which yeah. you're allowed to do what? in this world, right? The, the, you're allowed to put hits on anybody, but you just can't do anything while you're on continental grounds. And Right. Yeah. And that was that big play on that one. Yeah. That hitman, hit people can hit can go after hit people and have contracts put out on them. They're not in any way um, immune to having hits put on each other. Which was a What's brilliant funny, plot mechanism to drive action. Was like, mm-hmm. I mean, I just loved when it, it, all of a sudden it was almost like it was almost like in the Matrix when anybody could become an agent. You know, when uh, mm-hmm. 
Mr. Smith or whoever could just take over anybody. That was so cool in the Matrix. Uh, All of a sudden, anybody could be the enemy. Well, <laughs> in this, it's the exact same concept with a completely different rule set. All of a sudden, anybody who gets a text message, like, oh, apparently there's like thousands of assassins, you know, embedded in New York, and they're all just going to try to take out John Wick for that seven million bucks. Yeah. Or, or somehow well, connected to that world, right? Like, I don't know if that taxi cab driver in three, when he gives him a coin to take do- his dog back to the Continental to Sharon, right. I don't know if he was a hitman or if it's just taxi drivers just know about this underworld and just participate, kind of like the homeless do for the Bowery King. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, you you threw the spade down, Jared. So I have to say it. What's the spade? There's a fan fiction that uh, oh, yes. that this takes place in the Matrix. Now I don't think this has been verified by anybody <laughs> of substance that's connected to the film, but I think it's fun to think in these terms. So let's do it for just a little bit. Okay. Um, particularly at the end of Chapter One, which doesn't really say Chapter One. It's just the first movie. Mm-hmm. There's rain, so that's pretty quintessential for a Matrix movie to be rained during a fight scene. That's also a pretty common thing when there's fight scenes in action movies. Yeah. So I, I'll let that one slide. But then in chapter two, he's running through the subway and there's he's coming down the escalator. And I don't expect you guys to remember this part, but there was three posters and they all seemed to be like, get out or like the Matrix. Like there was more to what meets the eye, so to speak. I didn't even know. And there was that. messages on these on these posters in the subway. That's the extent of it. Chapter three, I didn't see much Matrix Matrix esque type stuff, but well, we gotta say when Lawrence Fishburne showed up, I was like, it is right. the Matrix. <laughs> it is. It's ah. Morpheus. Well, actually, in three, there is one uh, throwback to the Matrix where uh, they ask if he needs anything, and then um, uh, Keanu Reeves says, "Guns, lots of guns." Oh yeah, or, better oh, right. delivery than that. I got the I got right. the answers wrong. Lots of guns. Yeah, he <laughs> says that. So I mean, that is definitely a throwback to the first. That Matrix. definitely is a throwback. That's true. That is true. So. Uh, I'm definitely playing with it, I'm sure. I'm sure the writers are just having a lot of fun with that. Let's toss some Easter eggs in, why not? Exactly, and I'm sure they've read the forum posts as well. I mean... Yeah. Right. I mean, you think... "Hmm, I can probably work something in there, but like, what would you have that would confirm it? Like, they'd have to like come out and say, yes, this is pre Yeah, I think you'd need confirmation from the director, writers, somebody that's involved in the executive team of creating this film to say, yeah... You know, you know, and since there's actually a Matrix Four being say, talked about or in the works, I would imagine. Oh my goodness! Don't right. Do so it. there's a. Well, and that would be. They're remaking Bill and Ted's too. No, well, so Matrix Four is not a reboot. It is the fourth film in the series. Uh, Ken Reeves is involved, and uh, I believe it's Lana Wachowski of the Wachowski yeah. siblings is also involved in writing it. So it's not a complete disconnect. But then again, I'm as you pointed out, two and three are not nowhere. I'm near still not one, into so. it. I was yeah. so disappointed by re- specifically the Matrix Reloaded. I mean, I anticipated that movie. I think I was in high school at the time. I remember the trailer for that, which is a spectacular piece of fi- of filmmaking. It's like two and a half minutes. The Matrix Reloaded, just jam packed with the ma- the train scene, like just jam packed. And then I went and watched the film, and I'm like, what the crap is going on? The architect and like this crazy highfalutin ridiculous stuff. Anyways. Yeah, right. the fight scenes are great, but yeah, the, the I plot felt, in between the, the the connections between the fight scenes were not. not it's like scary. they went crazy, and then the third one right. was kind of like, well, here we are, not in the Matrix and doing our thing, but yeah. Anyway, well, to say that so the the premise is that this movie takes place in the Matrix, unknown to the Matrix, so right. that's why you have these spectacular fight scenes and these incredible things that happen, and potentially even this underworld that's plays by different rules because. It's such a unique world inside the Matrix. Like you have 
Uh, I know you hate the, these movies, or at least two and three, but I believe in two. There was the key master, the key maker, or whatever, right? Exactly. And the one guy with the girl that was like in between uh, the one Neo, which is funny, um, that he had to go through to get to the key maker, the key man. And just this uniqueness, like there's always some depth to everybody's master. story. The key master. The key master. Yeah. Are you no, that's Ghostbusters. Are you the are you the gatekeeper? I'm the key think, master. <laughs> Rick Moranis? Yes. Yes. We might be mixing mixing metaphors here. Well, if that's the case, you know, maybe we'll see the continued slide into convolutedness of John Wick. Because that's I think I think the Matrix Reloaded is quintessential. Uh, taking a plot line and just mixing it and mashing it and going deeper and adding lore into a point mm-hmm. where it's uh, incomprehensible. So I hope that doesn't happen. But I think it would be cool if, like, at the end of the last John Wick, whatever number that happens to be, he decides to retire and become, like, a, com- a computer hacker, and he goes by <laughs> Neo, you know? That would be crazy, yeah. I'm just going to go become a farmer. Yeah. Or, uh, well... I guess you're right. It couldn't go the other way. It couldn't be Neo turns John Wick. Neo right. turns John Wick. No, no, because Neo self aware. It would have to be. Yeah, it would have to be John Wick to Neo. Yeah, or he was one of the previous ones that oh, didn't. Yeah. Oh, that the didn't multi- off, yeah, right? the multiverse. Well, because they talked about yeah, Neo. how many how many times had they rebuilt the Matrix? I can't remember. I think they said at the end of Reloaded, this is that this is the nth time we've built this for you. Yeah. Yep. That's really interesting. Is it time to play favorite character, favorite scene? And I'm going to add one more. Favorite weapon. Oh. Mm. Sure. Sure. I'm, I'm ready. Go ahead, Adam. Favorite character. Uh, that's not gosh. John Wick. Well, obviously, John Wick. let's just put John Wick on that's top. That's not I mean, John Wick. <laughs> let's say that's the honorary top of all of our lists, and we can't say John. So John aside, I really liked so let, let's go movie by movie and I'll look through the the, the list here real quick. I, I have one pick. that actually transcends all three. Oh boy. because I, I, I really like Sharon, the uh concierge at the Continental New York. Okay. You're right. Yeah, yeah. he's awesome. Because uh, that actor also did a in the wire. great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The there's a lot a good, of wire people. I mean wires yeah. by the way, uh the wire is excellent for anyone who's actually listens to this and has not seen 100%. it. Uh, the Wire, it's up there with like The Sopranos. It's like Saran's character's name is Lance Reddick. Yeah, for those who don't know, I will, I'll agree with that one. I'll, I'll, I'll touche you on that one. Yeah, he, I, he, the actor does a great job. There's uh, the the character is very played well. The, the has a nice continuity in the story. Yeah, it's just it's just a great great little like side character that's there consistently. That's just done well. I, I got some answers then. So for for number one, Vigo. For chapter two, I would say Eris, which her name is Ruby Rose, is her real name. Oh, she was actually, you- yeah. And then uh, in three, I would just say the adjudicator, Asia Kate Dillon. Surprisingly, did really well with that role. I loved her play of that character. I think that would exactly be how I would imagine a adjudicator. Yeah, something that's like above very, approach. Yeah. 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 yeah she seemed like very yeah. rules based, very, you don't break the laws. And if you do, you pay. Very precise. Mm-hmm. She's so. another one where I was like, someone should just shoot her in the back of the head. You know, like if I was <laughs> mm-hmm. Lawrence Fishburne's character, instead of letting her slash me up, I'd be like, look, I got a bunch of homeless people with guns. 
somebody just take her out, but maybe she's invincible or something. I don't know. I think it's one of those, if you do that, he, he was just assuming they'd all come after him. Yeah. At once. Which is probably true. And he's not John Wick, so he probably knows he won't <laughs> make it. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jared? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, that's like, I don't think I can go film by film. I think I think I have a transcender. I think Winston is the man. Uh, mm-hmm. I love that actor. He's he's a guy who's just like a master. You know, he plays a mastermind and just like the ultimate cool. He's a schemer. And then we find out, yeah, as he goes along, I'm like, okay, he's gotten to this place because he is a schemer. And he's always got something up his sleeve. And uh, I really like that about him. Very much looking out for himself. Yeah. Which you don't well, it also showed some interesting backstory of how long he's owned that hotel, too. You know, I, I love the depth of, like, how, how long he's been there and how they're going to try and take it away from him in Chapter 3. Mm-hmm. And how he wouldn't let that happen because of all these different things. Just, I love that sort of grit in that character. And, yeah. Uh, the scene in chapter three, though, when he's in the vault and everyone else is going out and killing and he's sitting there drinking brandy. I'm like, yeah. come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> and he's still just sitting there when John comes back to reload and get more weapons, as you said earlier, to the realness of John's character. Yeah. Yeah. To uh, need the shotgun. Please, somebody mention the shotgun. Anyways, that's yeah. that's favorite weapon. That's coming up. Oh, Continue and the... Did they call him a sommelier uh, in chapter two? The oh, guy yeah. in the Continental... Uh, over in, with guns. Yeah. Oh, is he the sommelier? In, yeah. Of course. For Always. A t- for a tasting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That I was, loved that whole that metaphor was, of like these different yeah. uh, service providers. You know, yeah. Will you it. be needing room service? Yes, I will Conceptually, need room service. Conceptually, the Continental thing was my favorite concept. And, and they, they did it such a well of like integrating it into, into the world. It, it was so cool. It's like the kind mm-hmm. of place you're like, I would love to go there and then go see the sommelier, you know? Yep. Especially because they couldn't kill me while I'm there, so... I'd be okay. Yeah. I'm waiting for so someone Winston to for do you. that for a uh, amusement park or something. Yeah, exactly. Who else do I like? Yeah. You got Winston. Uh, Who else? I mean, I'm with Brett. I like the concierge guy as well. Um, that's probably it. That's it? Two. You got three. I can pick three favorites. Three favorites. Oh, I'm not used to this game. Usually, I'm just. That's picking, like wishes, man. It's the genie. You get three. Okay. Um, I also like the guy at the beginning of chapter two, the boss man. Is he Russian or is he? Oh yes, the one that the, runs the taxi service. Yes, the one who the one who uh, drinks lets, with him. The one who lets go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like him as well. I I just I like that actor. So when I see him in a film, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy's cool. John Leguizamo did a good job. He didn't have that much to work with. No. But, I mean, he didn't have that many scenes, but I always liked John Leguizamo. He's awesome. Yeah, he was just a fun, fun little character. My favorite reveal, I think, was, because I knew the backstory of the forum talk with The Matrix, was when I, I didn't know Lawrence Fishburne was in these movies. And so oh. when I saw him, I was like, oh, that's why they're all talking about The Matrix. <laughs> so I did enjoy that moment. Yeah. Uh, cool character. I haven't quite figured out the backstory of that Bowery King character. Like, why are all these people playing homeless people? I mean, are they actually homeless? Are they just playing that on the street as part of the network? But they're always dressed like that. It's like it's similar to I would say the Game of Thrones when they the I forget the character's name, but he had he called them his little birds. Uh, It's similar um, to that, like spies. uh, his, His nickname's the Spider. Um, uh, crud. It's 
not coming to me. I, yeah, the bald. The <laughs> bald. Uh, well, bald he's guy. also castrated. Um, he's mm. the eunuch. Um, I haven't seen Game of Thrones, so I'm of no use here. You've never seen it? No, I've seen. Are you going to? I don't think so. Just think so you know, you got to watch the entire first season, maybe a little bit of the second to, before you really get hooked. It's a okay. slow start. So if you've only watched like the first like two or three episodes, I'm not shocked you're not into it. I watched episode one and again on a plane. Uh-huh. And when the, the incest no. scene and I was on a plane, I just bowed out. You've got to watch all the way into se- partway into season two. <laughs> that's that's when you get hooked. Yeah, <laughs> that's asking a lot. It's well, same way with lot. Breaking Bad. I mean, Breaking Bad, I didn't get into it till like, it was earlier than that, maybe episode four. But Breaking Bad was like a slow burn, and then it was just like a rocket ship. I love, yeah. I love Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad's totally worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. So, what's the other thing? Favorite weapon or favorite scene? Let me have one more favorite character if you don't mind. <laughs> Adam's breaking all the rules. Man. Yeah, I was gonna say. One. I think this this three favorite rules just really just does not apply. <laughs> Okay, so there's an there's a runner up. I mean, Halle Berry has to be one because I mean I didn't expect her in the in the third film, and she just did a great job uh, yeah. for other reasons I'll ex- I'll express. But I would say that the uh, the person who played Zero, which was the final character of that he killed the samurai, I think is you might describe him visually as uh, the one is a huge three. fan of his. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about the, that guy. I love that guy. The back and forth between those two, like how there was just a lot of sarcasm, a lot of like reverence and and. Uh, Humor even between mm-hmm. the the two characters, I think that was pretty cool. Like, no one gets to kill you besides me. You know that was cool. that was cool. Just That's akin to the fight scene. Yeah. That was the fight scene in the uh, in when John and that character fell into the hot tub, and the character tries to shoot him. Oh yeah, yeah. And the bullets can't get to him, so that John comes up real close and double taps him right in the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's the other one I would say is zero from the last movie, which is the you know the the, the final battle, so to speak. Yeah, the, the, unless there's a four. So let's well, move on to favorite scene. Doesn't no, have to be three. Do I maybe just a favorite these, or two? Or? No, just okay, how about least favorite scene? Because I'm going to go with when he goes sure. out into the desert to meet the high order guy. Oh, what was his name? The the elder. The elder. That's where it's like hitting in Matrix Reloaded style. It's like, okay, go out into the desert and pass out, and then the guy will appear. Yeah, it's getting this, a little bit mythical. Yeah, this Bedouin man out, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I was not into that. I mean, I don't, the scene was fine. They like chopped, chopped off his own finger. It's just that that part of the story was again, and where I was like, this is not, I don't know, this is just too. Uh, yeah, too why far. would the elder. The person in charge of this all be there in a tent in the middle of the desert, like it just. Plus, like when he gave him the guy who uh, who shot the dog, who gives him that information. Like if some guy just told you, like walk into the desert until you can't walk any further, and then walk further. <laughs> like, is that enough information for me to like feel confident that like which desert are we talking about? Which direction should I walk? Does it matter? Like. I think All at that, that point was, he was kind of beyond thinking rationally and going like, "Well, I'm dead if I don't do something, so I'll just listen." How did to he get this to the desert? Thing. She dropped. Uh, Halle Berry drove something. drove him out there. Yeah, and they just gave him a bit of. Uh, well, that would give me some walk. confidence. Then, if I had a counterpart that felt confident in the desert, <laughs> then I would just walk really far into that desert. She hated well, the guy. That counterpart also obviously did not like him, considering she left him with only uh, water she had used to rinse her mouth out. So, yeah, I did like that scene, but he drank it. 
Or, uh, I would have. Well, yeah. If I, I mean, was that, left in the desert with not, nothing but. How did they wash. find him in the desert? How do they know which dune he passed out on? You know, do they have a GPS on all their assassins and he doesn't know about it? Maybe it's it, like it's, in his body. It's all just satellite photos. Oh, okay. That's right. That's they, true. They, they have, have some very advanced uh, machine learning. In the learning. next film, we'll, we'll learn about the technology behind finding people in yeah. the Dunwick. Well, the way that they dispatch There's an ML model messages. that can find John Wick anywhere on the planet. They just ran right. that over the desert and just said, oh, Where's John Wick? Yeah. There's a retro way in which they dispatch those uh, text messages out. doesn't give you too much confidence in their technology. You know, it looks like an old, That's true. An old well, switchboard. The phosphor-colored yeah. old CRTs. And- yeah, it's almost like steampunk style. Mm-hmm. Which is cool, but doesn't make you think these people have advanced technologies. Yeah. Right. So but least favorite What's, ransomware would totally. Oh, take sorry. Out. Yeah, I had to take one more shot at it. You want to do a second three. least favorite since no. you already mentioned the horse scene? Uh, I, it's not that I disliked the scene. I just disliked how they convolutedly got there. That's all. I thought mm-hmm. it was cool. I mean, when he like you know hits the horse in the butt and kicks the guy in the face. That's that's all right. Good. When he's riding the horse and kind of like, would John Wick really ride a horse? And then you're like, well, he'd do whatever it takes to win. But right, he's cooler than than that. Uh, favorite scene of the whole series. It's got to be the last half hour of John Wick 3. I mean, despite it being, I think, the weakest in terms of story and, and execution of the three, the action in that movie is spectacular. And the last half hour, especially when he's uh, probably the favorite weapon as well, is the shotgun. When, oh, this, when, the siege of the Continental? The siege, yeah. When the, yeah. Uh, yeah, I should say, I should be more specific, but pre-fight, not the fight at the end, but the actual uh, protecting of the Continental with the guys with the increased body armor and how you know they go out there the first time and he, he's shooting guys and they're getting back up and everything and he realizes I gotta shoot these guys right in the face uh, with this shotgun and he it's just slightly starts, more accurate he just yeah. starts blowing heads off it's just like one after the next after the next and it's it's fun to watch it's probably my favorite scene mine's right, probably Brady. honestly the nightclub from uh, the first one if any it's not for nostalgic reason that's the wrong term but basically because that was the sh- that was the shot that was the scene that really got me to appreciate these films mm. it was, it's just well done it's shortened to the point the movements are great it doesn't feel convoluted none none of our issues that we have with any of the other films are, are amassed in that scene yeah and it's just fun to watch are you talking about on the dance floor part or pre that when he's going up for yusuf in the and his buddies in the in the uh, pool back there the, that that whole that whole section going through the pool going back and then going through the pool dealing with that chasing him out going up to the top floor of the nightclub and dealing with that and then mm-hmm. at that point he falls and hits the floor uh, yeah which I'm surprised he even walked away from that like wouldn't you break your back if you fell well once again this is where you have to really That's, suspend disbelief right? exactly like his body like can apparently take the most amount of punishment out of any human being in the world like I'm amazed he's not have multiple concussions at this point especially being like we said before the the time span for which this the whole entire series takes place. He takes a lot of beating for two weeks worth. I mean, I don't yeah. know about you. How has he not pulled a muscle, right? I mean, come <laughs> right. on. Well, that's what right. was weird about when he had to go to the doctor for that one particular stab. Yeah. I understand having to go to the things. doctor, but like, why is that the one that he had to get stitched up? He's gotten ripped in like seven different places. Yeah. Well, he had this, the, the stomach stuff that was, yeah. he mm-hmm. gave him uh uh, medication for it said that uh, you take this, you won't feel anything, but you'll you'll last, you'll bleed. The same doctor did it too. So. Oh yeah, yeah, and that was in cha- yeah chapter one. Chapter uh, one, with, yeah, the, the oh, yeah. hotel doctor is the yeah. doctor. So in. I think there's probably a lot more injuries where he's getting fixed up that we're maybe not aware of potentially, either self fixing or actual doctors. But well, I don't know. It's just not much it, time. 
Well, in chapter two, though, he gets that bulletproof suit, right? Yeah. Right. So that helps. Which is super cool. Which helps a lot, right? Because the suddenly you're just. Or was a Kevlar lining in there or something like that sewn into it? Yeah. So you're getting bruised up and you're feeling it, but there's nothing like. There's no like actual like penetration of the body until that right. knife scene. Everything else is like he's getting his head bashed against walls and that. Right. But nuts. Like that scene. Even early on, three. when Yusuf and his buddies and his goons break into his house, which kicks it all off. This is pre the dog death, pre the car being stolen. The. We didn't even mention the dang Mustang yet, but that Mustang was awesome. Yeah, it was. So the very first, like, they, Yusuf kicked him in the face way harder than anybody should be able to kick be in the face. Yeah. You'd have your nose broken, but all it was was just bloody. Yeah. Like, I would imagine, like, a, a totally broken face, but mm-hmm. not John. Not John. Favorite not scene, John. Adam. You haven't said your favorite scene yet. I still and by okay, the way, I, I don't think they're going to allow that to happen to Keanu Reeves' face to have him look like he's got a screwed up face. There's probably something. There might be something in his contract that says, "And my face will not look horrible." Yeah, right. I bet. Yeah, I must always be me, but as a character. Yeah. Or the or the or the um, the movie studio may have decided that too, because I know that's a thing, right? Or it's like we we will not let them have a completely messed up face. For sure. Right. So I'll, I'll start by agreeing with both of you on your scenes. Jared, I liked the last half hour, specifically the siege yeah. of the Continental. I definitely liked the the nightclub scene in, in Chapter 1. Unofficially Chapter 1, of course, as we keep saying, or at least I keep saying. Because <laughs> that's how I'm referring to it as Chapter 1, rather than just saying John Wick. Well, which one? Which John Wick 2, 3, or 1? So anyways, I'll agree with those, and I'll add the mirror scene uh, with the mute Aries mm. in Chapter 2. Mm-hmm. That was super cool. Um, both how yeah, they fought cool. particularly and then other characters that he fought that was like just like a mind bender visually and conceptually as a, as a fighting scene and then I will say uh, specifically the dog scene in chapter 3 mm. one thing I like about that that adds even more value is that Halle Berry is the one who trained those dogs mm. so like in real life she trained those dogs and those dogs were like a key character in fight scenes etc like I've never seen a movie where you actually have wait you said animals. she trained them herself in real life yes oh wow she trained those dogs she owned those dogs like they're her those dogs? are her dogs well, wow. i don't know they're her dogs but they probably are now if they if she's the one yeah. that's training them they yeah, know I mean, I mean, her i would imagine i don't know for sure if they are hers but i would say that they think they're hers <laughs> they think they're hers <laughs> even well, if she doesn't own them you know she probably she doesn't have dogs. any stalkers stalking around her house you no, know because definitely not so mad respect as, a, as an actor actress to that's awesome be yeah. that committed wow, to train dedication. and be able to train dogs. And then the dogs being so, I, I guess, uh, compliant with their training to be actors themselves. That's amazing. I've never seen animals used like that in a film. Mm-hmm. And to be so, such a critical part to those fight scenes. Like If you go back with this knowledge of my liking of that scene and you say, I'm going to rewatch this with a new perspective, as Brett said earlier, with going back to uh, chapter one, then I think you'll see what I see. So how many dogs were killed in the filming of this movie? None. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> okay, that's good. Yeah, I mean, actually, and yeah, even fake, right? None of them, right? Because her dogs were wearing those bulletproof vests of theirs. That's right. Not even any well, fake dogs. Technically now. one. Well, technically yeah, technically one. one. The motivation in chapter one. Daisy. Oh. Which I really think is the is ironic given the the cult love of this these these movies and everything that ensues because of uh, a car being stolen and a dog being killed. Like, that's pretty wild. What's wild? Like, the fact that that's the kickoff for the entire film right, series? Right, those two simple things, you know, like, where have you been so upset over 
Like so, even well, Vigo, his character Brett is like said, over is a the, dog. The dog was a proxy for his wife, right? It was right, the last right. thing he had that was in connection to his wife. And no, I get that. The and car was like just a car. car. Something he loved. That is yeah, why he warned him sale. about life is more than just that car. Right. So yeah. yes, it's just a dog in a car. But like Brett said, like it's not just a dog yeah. in a car or a car. Yeah. yeah. To the outside world, though, it's like it's it's easy to simplify. Yeah. the crux of the movie to be based off of a car being stolen and a dog. Well, and they've yeah. joked Obviously about that this, in the film too, right? Because yeah. no, in chapter three, it's like, yeah. Over a dog. It's over a dog. It's like, yeah. no, it's more than, it's, like, it's not just the dog. <laughs> it's not just, yeah. John Wick's dog. Yeah. So favorite weapon, I for me, I would have to say. Uh, it's so the, hard to the say shotgun, though, because he goes the through so many the though. Uh, yeah. Right? Like anyone seen, he goes through like five things. The shotguns were pretty interesting. Like they, they had uh, uh, armor piercing shotgun shells. Right. To me, yeah, that's pretty shot, wild. Yeah. yeah, that's that's real wild. I don't know if that's so, true. And then like he, after he went back out, they both went back out with those shotguns. They like annihilated everyone. Right. He was standing on top of a crate and shot somebody down through their head. With that shot, that's the weapon that he used. Where I the most one where I was like, I would like to try that, you know, more than most, more so. Like the knives, I don't want to try the knives. In fact, those no. are my least favorite scenes. Just maybe I just do not like that style of killing, like it's almost too guttural for me. Mm. I, I can cringe and wince, I can make myself, I can get through it. It's not like I'm gonna turn it off, but like I could mm. do without any of the knife kills just myself. You, so, you didn't love it when he stabbed someone through the eye. I mean, I liked the idea, but I didn't like the like. I don't like watching it. No. Yeah, that that one. I actually do turn away when that. Yeah, it's just on, like. So. Oh. But like when he shoots somebody's head off, it doesn't make me do that whatsoever because I mean, it just seems so <laughs> fantastical, even though it's yeah. probably the way it would actually work out. Yeah, um, I probably. Oh, yeah, exactly. It, no one's about to do that with something out of my kitchen to me. Right. right. Yeah, so I could do without the knife kills, but um, favorite weapon. Yeah, is that what we're talking about? Favorite weapon. Yeah, the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love. I did like the scene in, in three when he when he puts that takes that gun apart and puts it together again in order to fit the right bullet. Yeah, six really, shooter. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I thought it was really dumb that he had immediately discarded it. It's like there's other bullets right there. Grab six of them. You can, yeah. Anyways, but it was cool that they thought of that and the way he did yeah. it was awesome. And to use the six shooter in that kind of movie too was pretty cool. It was just yes. a sweet idea. Like let's have him like happen upon this antique weapon store, you know, or museum or whatever it was. Right, just completely filled with awesome weapons. I'm stumped. I don't. Mm. I mean, the shotguns were cool, and and honestly, Keanu Reeves' motion of how he reloads—it's kind of interesting too. Like I've never seen anyone in any at, at any point, at least in films, ever reload a gun that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I might have one more if you don't have one. Go for it. You can have mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pass. I'll give it back to you if you like it, and you can agree. Sure. So I think the samurai swords at the at the end of chapter three was super cool. Mm. After the siege, mm-hmm. the the final there was two characters prior to the final character that I don't think they had names, but they they did not have they, names. But he did spare right. their lives. Right, he did spare, which I thought was super cool. And whenever like they're trying to stab him, like he also gets blasted through many glass boxes. Like I I yeah. can't believe he can bounce back from that and get up and not be cut everywhere. But whenever he's like dodging their their attacks with the sword, they're like they're like cutting the glass and like I just love the visual of that scene. Mm-hmm. And 
the samurai-ness, I suppose, of, of using those swords. And he's able to, like, dodge it all. And I just like the visual of those uh, the swords on the on the glass. Maybe they did use safety glass, not just in the film, but actually they assumed they used safety glass in real life because that's a lot of glass in a room. So that would, could explain how you wouldn't get cut. Yeah, true. Possibly. And some of it seems to be bulletproof as well, and I don't know how bulletproof glass That's true, shatters. yeah, because he went to shoot zero and he couldn't. Yep. I don't know how, yeah. That's that interesting to think in about. Life. Bulletproof, but uh, not John Wick shatterproof. Well, maybe it wasn't all glass. Maybe it was only some of the glass. I don't know. Because a lot of that was also those cases with those glass skulls. Yeah. So. What was that room in the Continental? Like, what was that place? What did you say? It was a place. It was a special room they, they use for special occasions. Certain meetings. Like, know what someone like levels to it too. Brings into it. I wonder like, where it really is in real life because I don't know yeah. if you noticed, but those billboards in the background in that scene were like perfect product placement for anyone who wanted to pay extra money to have their product show up in John Wick <laughs> Three, right? Like, there's an ad for like a watch at some point with very clearly you can read the name, the brand of the watch, and I was like, I wonder how much that company paid to be in that. Yeah, yeah. Tissot, I believe, is what the brand was. I remember correctly. It was two words, but it wasn't Petit Philippe. It was something else. <laughs> As I said, I just watched it this morning because, and that's why I noticed it. And it was like, yeah. I've never heard yeah. this brand before. A lot of detail in these movies too. I'll yeah. say that. Like having watched them several times, each time I watch them, I notice a new detail and a new kind of layer to the storytelling, which is, is always super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, actually when I rewatched, uh, Chapter one, as I keep saying unofficially, chapter one, <laughs> it begins with him as the movie ends, as chapter one ends. And you wonder if he gets back up because, you know, they actually started off making you think that John Wick will not get back up from a fight. And then it goes back to it. And that's after that he actually kills Vigo, uh, Vigo's character. And he obviously got up. I love that. How they begin that way is like, will John get up? Because then it goes from there to the, um, to the cemetery scene and then to uh, Willem Dafoe's character and their little sort of like awkward exchange and then into the movie deeper of like going to get gas with his awesome car and then Yosef and all that stuff. So, Well, then we well, finish up here with what we would like to see next from John Wick. We know there's a episode four, a chapter four officially or unofficially. I don't know what they're calling it. <laughs> I think it's officially. Okay. We prepared for war. So we've parabellumed. Uh, chapter three ends, I believe I've only seen it once. It's, uh, Lawrence Fisher and ask Keanu, like, are you mad? And he's like, yes, I'm mad. So those two are mad, right? Is that the yes, end of the- the, Yes. They, uh, Keanu Reeves falls off the roof of the continental, right. disappears. And it turns out that one of the spies, whatever for, for the Bowery King pulls them in, dumps them. And yeah, Lawrence Fishmore says, I'm pissed, John. How do you feel? He said, oh, yeah. I'm mad. Yeah, or, or I'm mad too, or something along those lines. They're so both that's mad. where it cuts. Yeah, so although one of them only had, has lost a finger at this point. Which, by the way, I have to admit, I was totally shocked they did in part three because now Keanu Reeves has to wear a green cover on his on his left ring finger for the rest of this franchise. That's true. Or something, mm. gloves, or I don't know if you two watch The Handmaid's Tale, uh, some like fake cover to make it look more like a finger. I haven't seen uh, that. Um, Me either. But they're going to have wow. to do something to deal with that. Otherwise, they're going to have special effects in almost every scene to make sure they cut that one finger out. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with that. And then also just having to now think of John as uh, disfigured in some way to fight differently. Because obviously you can't, 
I would imagine that that the lack of that one finger would change a bit how you hold things and yeah. your maneuvers, your maneuverability. You know, like you would, it would change you a little bit enough to make it. We have to consider it. Which does tie into Jared's complaint about Chapter 3 in terms of believability. Because if you were the Elder and you were trying to make John come back into the fold, yeah. would you really want to injure your top assassin that you're bringing back in because of his unique skill set in such a way that he's now going to be Handicap less of him. a... Yeah, exactly, right? He, he yeah. is going to have some issues with some things potentially. Yeah. It's like, is that really the way you want him to show his fealty to you? Goes back to the desert scene, man. That desert scene. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure what to expect from Chapter Four because I've been blown away so far, and they went as far as I thought that they could go already. So I would say, if you prepared for war, then I would say the thing after war of that kind would be an apocalypse or at least revenge, because that's Winston double crossed him, right? John was on Winston's mm-hmm. side, and then Winston double crossed him, and right, you know, threw him off the the building basically, and he survived, and now he's teamed up with. Uh, Oh, gosh, what was his name? The, I just the Bowery King. Yeah, I don't know what his name. Bowery King, but what was his name in the Matrix? Morpheus. Oh, Morpheus. Morpheus. So I was gonna say Morpheus to be funny, but obviously I botched that. It's okay because you know they're, they're so it's paralleled. St- still funny. It just, is funny, just in a different way. So I mean, I think the happy path or like the obvious path is those two team up and go after the high table, mm-hmm. and like they're gonna they're gonna bring the whole system down. Like that seems like. But I guess I wouldn't want that to be the story because it seems like the obvious plot for the next movie. It mm-hmm. is suggested though because um, the Barry, Lawrence Fishburne's character Morpheus, Morpheus slash yes, Barry Mor- King uh, <laughs> does say that like he wants to bring this whole thing down, right? And he wants to he specifically wants to go after the high table, which I mm-hmm. can and he's see. not for it. He like he didn't want to play by the rules, you know. That's yeah, why I, she sliced him up because he didn't comply. He, I wouldn't he, mind seeing John Wick back on offense. You know, he, he's he's spent the last two movies basically playing defense for the most part, except for like we said when he executed that guy. But a lot has been reactionary, trying to save his own life. I mean, a lot of in three, he's like at at the brink. He's on the run, yeah, trying right. To, yeah. But you know, in John Wick one, he was on offense completely, and it would be cool to see him on the offense, like planning. I mean, yeah, yeah, getting per, per, weaponed per, up, getting a chance to prepare. Yeah, and like have a strategy like he does in one, and like go in and own some fools. Well, in that case, then I would I would hate to be Winston because he's already shown that he only drinks brandy when the fight scenes <laughs> happen. So I mean, like, what, is he going to be sitting there just drinking brandy and John slices him up or shoots him up or whatever? Like, That's Winston it. doesn't stand a chance solo. So it would. What I also think happened in chapter three was this whole new sort of unraveling of the depth of the lore and the story. We, you know, the adjudicator and you know, sort of the higher government. Uh, esque type uh, rule set they have in this world. I, I think we might see maybe another layer to that. Maybe there's one more higher layer than the high order. I don't know. Mm. The architect. Well, I said high order. Higher than the high table. <laughs> the high table. Jared got me jacked up with the high order. Maybe there's an there's architect. There's going to be a high chair thing. at the high table. An architect, Jared? Yeah, but there's like an architect <laughs> of the entire system. Ergo, vis-a-vis. Yeah. Play by, it should be played by Will Ferrell. Now that'd be something. Oh my gosh. That would yeah, be a change. Would... John Wick 4 is a comedy starring Will Ferrell. That'd be no, I think what would be even better is if, <laughs> is if I'll, I'll play with you on that. So Will Ferrell, but in a serious role. Hey, Similar he did a good job to, Stranger, in, Stranger Than Fiction. He did, yeah. Did he? he did do a good job in that. Uh, that reminds me of like Robin Williams playing various serious mm, roles. Mm. Yeah. He actually played a creepy role one time, didn't he? The, the, the photograph movie. What's that movie? Yeah. Uh, no, that's what I'm thinking of. 
is it is it thirty? No, twenty twenty four hour photo. Yeah, that's right. And he plays a real creepy guy, doesn't yeah. he? Directed by Mark mm-hmm. Romanek. One hour place. photo. Is it one hour one photo? Hour photo. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> you're twenty three hours too long on that. Uh, I can't remember how long it takes to develop film. Was last time I had to do that. <laughs> one hour fitness. I remember back when it did take twenty four hours, and then I remember when it became one hour. Way back. That's, that's there's uh, Danny. I've had to go develop film children. There you go. That's right. Now they don't even tell us what a Polaroid self. is. Yeah. Don't everybody shake it. The, yeah, everybody knows the Polaroid because of the Outcast song. Well, let's give some homework to the listeners, especially those who've listened to this very moment because that's a long time. Uh, one, thanks for being a super fan. Thanks for listening to Backstage and then even uh, listening to our backstory here with You could have watched Red. one of the movies in this time. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? <laughs> this is as long as the movie. We didn't go super deep, obviously. We went as deep as we could. This is not an exhaustive <laughs> take of all three films. I'm exhausted. Clearly, well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Keep going. Yeah, it's not an exhaustive take on it, and it's not a comprehensive take on it. Um, so we we encourage you to go watch these films and maybe take some of the things we've said. I think if I had to rewind, Jared, I would have done it the way you did it, which was be able to watch all three within you know a good span of time rather than like over several years. Because mm-hmm. if I could have waited and just watched all three at once. I would have definitely binged like you did between two and three. Yeah. Cause well, I mean, I three starts exactly where two leaves off, which I yeah. love. And that's because two leaves off in such a place. Like I wouldn't have wanted to wait however yeah. many years between this, which so. most of us did like, so between uh, chapter two and chapter three, it was two years. Yeah. Chapter one unofficially, as I keep saying, uh, there was three, three years between the first film and the second film. So mm-hmm. quite a span of time there. I would have done it like you did it. So homework for you all listening is eh, Watch the films. It's pretty easy, right? And if you've seen these films and you think we are wrong or s- silly or misinformed, we've made mistakes. I'm sure we've made plenty oh, of mistakes. God, yes. Or you think I'm an idiot for liking John Wick 2 the most of the three or whatever you want to say, let us know. We'd love to hear from everybody your thoughts on this trilogy. And I want to leave everyone with the, que- with the open question of how much was this inspired by the Bourne series? Because there's another set of films that has its own kind of lore that was not quite as I don't I would argue is not quite as coherent. But then again, once again, they made film one and they weren't planning to make two and three. Right. But this kind of like person who takes a more pragmatic view of the fight scenes and such. Mm. And not quite. I, I don't think it's quite as good as John Wick, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they took some inspiration from there, including well, a lot less say- talking. Because I know the yeah. last Jason Bourne, I believe, uh, famously only there are only twenty eight lines for oh, really? Uh, really, yeah, for Matt. Damon. Is that with Matt Damon? I know they did one without him, even. Yeah, uh, that was I can't remember. That was the one with um, what's his face who plays Hawkeye. Yes, uh, um, I know his name. I think yeah. that's Jason something maybe. No, uh, not Jason Statham. Not, it's uh, the Hawkeye guy. Uh, I'm trying not to type on my keyboard. Uh, I'm just typing. Uh, Keep stalling. Keep making uh, anyway, noises. Um, yeah, no. So I mean, they that, they did do that spinoff to try to grow out the film, but it obviously didn't take. And I know that's partially because the person Jeremy were, Renner, Jeremy, <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Renner <laughs> couldn't because he got involved in the Mission Impossible films and the Marvel films, which took up too much of his time because they were actually planning to make that spinoff bit actually become its own thing. 
I was bummed about that actually. The yeah. Born Legacy. I, I I was I like him as an actor, and I think he did amazing with that. Yeah, I think he did I a think good job. his humor as Hawkeye is really awesome. Like yeah. I'm like like this is a crazy world we're living in. I, I'm the guy, whatever, with a a bow and arrow, and you got a, something or other. He was telling this character. I, like, I love that about the the sort of like breaking down the fourth wall. Have you ever read the of, comics? No. So if you ever read a Hawkeye comic, the there was uh, Matt Faction. Uh, is a comic book writer and he did series uh, on he did a run on Hawkeye and it's very much that kind of character where it's just like yeah I'm just a guy with a bow and arrow who's just really has good aim I totally get screwed up and you see him in that in the comic like totally like nursing his wounds because like he he's not the Hulk and he makes comments like that it's like oh yeah I just live in a New York walk up in like the Bronx or Brooklyn or somewhere and it's, it's yeah. very much just a normal guy who just happens to have an amazing ability to just be very accurate with whatever he has really fast with the bone but it's very he funny reloads it's, faster than I can even think about reloading but yeah no that, that that whole comic is written that in that style of being very kind of funny and sarcastic and kind of to the point it's like yeah no I am definitely have my issues it's worth a read if you're at all into comics I think the problem with the Bourne legacy, which is the one with Jeremy Renner, is that it was a box office failure. At mm, least it was. Help either. And so that was like, man, do we really want to keep doing this with this guy? Well, I don't think the Bourne legacy or the even the final one, Jason Bourne, was that good in the box office either. I think yeah. the first three were. Because there were three Bournes, and then yes. there was the Jeremy Renner one, and then there were, they did yeah. another one with, with uh, Matt Bourne. Damon. Really? Yeah, the final one's called Jason Bourne. Okay. Yeah, or at least the, the final identity was supremacy. So Ultimatum, right. Legacy, and then just Jason Bourne. And I have to admit, I've never watched Jason Bourne. Well, it's got Tommy Lee Jones in it. Yes. I might have to watch this. 6.6 <laughs> on IMDb, so, yeah. yeah. No, then, it's then, no fugitive. Yeah, exactly. I don't okay. care. So the, 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 the homework for you then, Brett, is to, is, or the question, I guess, open-end question, which we somewhat closed. Yeah. I'll leave it is open. The, open is it back up. John Wick based on or influenced by Bourne? Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about that, and I have no good answer. I'm just curious. I wonder. At least in the... I, I It was an opening question, so I shouldn't take. I shouldn't give my take. I don't care. Well, it's a stupid take anyway. I was going to say, at least in the... in the In regards of the zeitgeist influences, like, future yeah. works, right? Like... Yeah. I guess your your question would have to be more specific for it to be answered. Like, are they specifically pulling from themes or? Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, there's no way you could have been influenced. Surely, the John Wick writers have probably it. seen oh, the yeah. Bourne films, and like, I'm just wondering if they saw that and go, like, I wonder if we can do something like that, but more yeah, this or that, more similar specifically, like, storyline. What if there was a Bourne, but was this? You know, mm-hmm. that does make you wonder, like, well, Adam, did you say that John Wick is a comic or is a book or something? It's not. No, well, it's, it's not. not a comic or a book. So that does original. make me, that does make me curious about its inception, you know, mm-hmm. like where did they drum this whole thing up? I'm sure it's out there somewhere in the Born Wick series. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. I like the idea of taking, you know, a, you know, John or sorry, Jason Bourne. And saying, how do you take this kind of character, not this character specifically, but this kind of character, mm-hmm. and place them in different scenarios? That That's interesting. It's almost what John Wick is, to some mm-hmm. degree. Invincible, basically. So similar to Alien versus Predator, we could have John Wick versus Jason Bourne, the film. There you go. That would be awesome. <laughs> that, 
Okay, so I'll answer your question then. That's what I look forward to in chapter four. Okay. I want to see Jason Bourne somehow be in there. And the final show off is between John Wick and Jason Bourne. I would watch that. And they that. both die. And they both die. Oh, don't spoiler it for us. <laughs> I'm not making the movie. <laughs> spoiler alert. This has alert. been fun, though. This has been fun. I, one more backstory to this, too. Super short. Is we actually exchanged several emails too about like when the the third movie would come in. We shared screenshots of like I think Brett, you showed a screenshot of like it arriving. Yeah, I photographed it. when I got home and I had the disc in my hands, saying like, "All right, I, I'm doing my bit. When are you two gonna watch?" That's right. Yeah. So this show was Peer years pressure, in the making. Peer pressure. Yeah, we were we were throwing it down between between the three of us by emails. Like, well, okay, I've watched chapter two. When are you two gonna watch chapter <laughs> That's two? That's right. And then you said, like, well, I'm having a viewing party. It's like, well, I'm 14 in <laughs> Europe, so you beat me to that one. So, yes. No, this this was built – this literally has been in the planning for a year because I think That's I right. first came on the change log in October to talk about um, my keynote at PyCon. And then, yeah, as you said, we had a four-hour recording where it was maybe an hour, hour and a half of actual, like, broadcastable Show. content. And then the rest yeah. of – the three of us just goofing off and talking about Keanu Reeves' nice man of Hollywood and all this other random stuff. And then, That's right. So, That's oh, right. we should do that. And then just building on that. And then just slowly getting to the point where we actually were able to make the time show up. Because I actually came on. You've been on the show since it, then. Yeah, because I came back on in May to talk about the Python Steering Council. That's right. And and to and Adam's comment about us kind of becoming pals, I was bummed because Adam had an appointment and actually had to record just within the time window of recording. Short time yes. window. When I had blocked up my entire afternoon, assuming we we're going to have another this like four hour just like just That's hang out. right. I felt bad. Right. I was like, oh, oh, we blocked extra time and we can't hang out. What did I have going on that day? Yeah, I, I it must know. have been important. Uh, bowling you, you, league. You just had a pre-existing, like long-term point uh, plan. Something. I don't remember. I don't you know. didn't say. You just had to take off. So you well, didn't. I'm sorry. Well, you know, I, I'll he had say curling that. I practice. Also <laughs> yeah, I had that curling game practice. Not, that's not a sport. <laughs> it's a game, not a sport. <laughs> I'm telling you, that is a good podcast. Is it a game or a sport? And then you get the enthusiasts of the games to come on and represent why they're a sport or not. Like I will admit, I've, I have also thought about this in terms okay. of like curling versus bowling versus esports because I've had exactly. this discussion with my father-in-law actually because yeah because he's asked the comments like. What's this esports thing? That doesn't seem like a sport. And then right. hey, this conversation of like physicality of like, you do have to train for this stuff, and there is a certain level of physicality that not everyone can actually accomplish. And there's you a have to wear diapers. To <laughs> I mean, you no have one can to. hold their pee that long. You have to. <laughs> you have to wear like it's, diapers. It's suggested. Required. It's suggested. Yeah. Yeah. It depends. Is a sponsor of esports? That's a joke. Just in case anybody thought I was being serious, but wouldn't you assume? I, well, I, yeah, exactly. I was actually going. I could actually somewhat believe that. I was yeah. hoping you were joking. It's a whole new market for depends. Oh man! Not just the old depends people. for gamers. Right. right. <laughs> Gamer edition. Gosh, what makes them different? Just can't get out of that 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 the wow same rage thing tonight? with like children's diapers. <laughs> some have Big Bird. Some have Thomas the Train. You know, like. Get your favorite Do you like put the Halo, depends. the guy from Halo oh, God. on. Now or? we're going to have a Fortnite-themed Depends that you can just go go down to, well, I was going to say Shoppers, but that's a Canadian reference. Go down that's to right. CVS. That's right. Well, it'd be CVS or, or yeah. Walgreens here. Yeah. I think that dog hunts. I think this could be a thing. Yeah. What? The Depends and the diapers? Depends Honestly, gamers. though, if you get that, I hope there's also... <laughs> If you have to buy Gamer Depends, I do hope there's at least a, a, a slip to give you a hotline to call about Gamer's Addiction, because honestly, you're point. going that far. You're, you're winning that tournament. 